Good morning, friends. The Old Testament passage for this Sunday reminded me of the Bible stories and the godly play lessons and the all the stories I grew up hearing about Jacob wrestling with God. But as I dove into the scriptures a bit more this week, the text isn't precise on who it is that Jacob is wrestling with. The character remains ambiguous. There's a rabbinic interpretive tradition that centers precisely upon the ambiguity within scripture, such as this one. It's better known as Midrash and Talmud. And while I was in divinity school, I enrolled in a rabbinic interpretation course. It was taught by a Christian Old Testament professor at the school, but it was also co-taught by a visiting scholar, Dr. Fish from Israel University. And the reason I bring this up is because it was so unlike all of my other biblical interpretation classes, really up to that point and since. And it's stuck with me because it's informed how I approach and think about the various ambiguities that we see in scripture all the time and all over the place. Now here's the thing about Midrash, friends. It's, as I mentioned, a Jewish interpretive or rabbinic interpretive um, tradition. And it's really a compilation of conversations, arguments, theories, where the rabbis are going back and forth with each other. Now this midrash, this back and forth argument between between rabbis, it really develops directly out of the nooks and crannies within scripture. Any sort of opening is, and then they just run with it. It can be, it can be crazy and, and funny and, and sometimes it can be close to the text and sometimes it can be sort of obscure and completely, um, distant from what we could imagine. I came across in my study this week one proposition, uh, rabbinic uh, interpretive proposition that said perhaps Jacob was wrestling with Esau's spirit. As we know, Jacob had fought with Esau most, um, if not all, of his life. And at the end of our passage, we know that Jacob insists on being blessed by this um, either man or spirit or um, God. As I see it, there are three possibilities for this character that Jacob is wrestling with. Either it is indeed an actual man, as stated in the scripture, or a lesser being from God, an angel, or some other divine figure that isn't God, or as much of Christian tradition has uh, asserted, Jacob is indeed wrestling with God, begging God for, or maybe even demanding God for the blessing. 
Now, what's going to become pretty clear in my sermon here is that I actually don't think who Jacob is wrestling with matters. Oftentimes, there are stories in the Old Testament that are theocentric, that are so focused and centered around the character of God that the other sort of details fall could fall away and we still have the central point of the story. This is a story that I really think is Jacob-centric. And some of these other details, these ambiguities, almost could fall away from the story and we still end up with Jacob who wrestled and gets a limp and is blessed. We're going to come back to that. In the meantime, I do want to touch on the theme from the lectionary with the scriptures we have today. Now, these scriptures seem to highlight God's abundance, God's willingness to bless those who trust and follow him. We see this in the gospel text with the feeding of the 5,000. And even Genesis 32:22 begins in the same night. As we heard already, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children across the ford of the Jabbok. Now, to be honest, this first sentence kind of makes me want to cringe. And I think the point here is that Jacob has a lot. We're seeing the blessings that Jacob has acquired over the years. Now, we can still understand uh, and assert that women and maids and children being listed as Jacob's possessions is pretty junky, okay? But needless to say, we have all heard sermons that are sort of the warm and fuzzy version of God's blessing upon us as his followers, uh, an overwhelming abundance of forgiveness and grace and love. And these are obviously still true, but I love myself some good resistance literature. So I want to understand Jacob and his act of wrestling a little bit differently this morning. I really want to focus and center Jacob's act of wrestling because I think there is something peculiar and and showing Jacob's resistance um, to whatever this sort of status quo is for, for him at that time. I also want to talk briefly about the imagery of face-to-face. This isn't particularly central to what I'm most interested in in the text, but I think it's an important piece to highlight because in the Hebrew scriptures, this face imagery is so poetic. I also 
know that you and I have a greater sense of the significance of being face-to-face now in the age of a global pandemic where screens and masks are between us almost all the time and even the moments that we do get to share face-to-face interaction are often six feet apart. So the the real face-to-face moments that we have with close um, family members or housemates or other sort of really tight-knit social groupings become even more important and central. Jacob being face-to-face with this being that he is wrestling with, as I mentioned earlier, has this sort of deep bodily understanding and significance within the text. And I will also mention just briefly, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this ideology at all, but I do think the, we know, we very well know this deep value of face-to-face interaction, even in the gut-wrenching reactions all over the country when people are asked to wear a mask in order to protect themselves and to protect others. But there's this resistance, there's this um, rejection, um, this feeling of, you know, for those who won't wear a mask, you know, feeling deeply violated, or there's something, some sense of, you know, them thinking they're suppressed. Now, once again, please do not misunderstand me. I, I, I am not trying to over-spiritualize this. But I do think the anti-mask ideology cuts straight to the heart of what is important in this text, which is that Jacob chooses this bodily sort of face-to-face interaction. Now, if I were writing an exegetical book on Genesis, I would not begin this particular passage with the depiction of Jacob and his possessions. Instead, I would begin the passage about two verses beforehand because there is a a reference, actually multiple references, to this face imagery once again begins in verse 20, maybe a little before, verse 19, where Jacob decides on a plan to send the servants um, ahead of him. And in the Hebrew, there's some reference to being appeased, which is a face-saving analogy or idiom. And then there's some directionality. So um, the person who is behind they are not facing the one who is ahead of them. I'm going to read it. Let me go ahead and read it. He likewise instructed the second and the third servants and all who followed in droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps then he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself spent the night in the camp. You can also see here where we might imagine Jacob ends up meeting Esau. At the end of the passage for today, there's also a reference to this place 
that Jacob is named. Whenever there's a place that is being named or is named specifically, it's important. And in this case, it's a play on words in the Hebrew. Um, panim el panim, face to face. The point here is that Jacob has chosen to lean into this moment of wrestling. Thus, and, and ultimately Jacob bears the scars and the weight of doing what he believed was right in that moment. He has a limp and yet he's still blessed. And so this at the end of the passage, it's this beautiful poetic image that says the sun rose up upon him as he limped away because of his hip. It's this image of blessing and the sun rising up upon him and him sort of carrying these, um, the, the, scar, the physical scars of resistance. It's, it's, theatrical and moving. I couldn't help but think of the many folks in our congregation, in our friend circles, um, all throughout history, who have pressed into the challenges of what they believe to be right each and every day. I also couldn't help but liken the great civil rights icon John Lewis to this remarkable and persistent character of Jacob within our very own scriptures. One of the quotes that has been circling around because of the memorial of John Lewis was something he said in 2014. You must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. I, I found myself thinking of Jacob in this passage as a character who is finding a way to get into a bit of trouble, get into necessary trouble, and then to demand what he believes is right, his blessing. I am sitting here in a cushy armchair with books all around me and reading and thinking about the scriptures and while obviously I'm deeply grateful and feel tremendously privileged to be able to do that, I clearly have a lot to learn from many of you. Those of you who are currently and have already found ways to get into trouble, get in the way get into the good and necessary trouble that our world so needs. What I want to proclaim for all of us today is that like Jacob, your lives and hearts might bear those very scars of getting into good and necessary trouble. But friends, take heart. Because like Jacob, you will be blessed and the sun will indeed rise over you. Amen.